Well, it was about a month or so before Jesus' death. Jesus starts, he begins his long walk back to Jerusalem, where Jesus knows exactly what's going to happen. He knows he's going to be killed. And he doesn't rush it. He, uh, he takes his time, which is understandable, and he, he stops in town after town after town and village after village after village as he's walking towards Jerusalem. And uh, what we have recorded for us, during this period of time, we have recorded for us kind of Jesus' last teachings. And so this is what we've been talking about for the last couple weeks, and this is what we're going to be talking about as we lead into Easter. Um, we're talking about the things that Jesus said and that Jesus did as he was literally on the road to the cross. Now, uh, a couple weeks ago, we began talking about how he was in this region called Perea, and he's teaching, and he's, the crowds are following him everywhere, which was so typical of Jesus while he was doing his public ministry. I mean, people wanted to hear what Jesus had to say because Jesus was saying things that they had never heard before, and people wanted to see what Jesus was going to do because Jesus was doing things that they, that they had never seen before. And so wherever Jesus went, crowds followed so after Perea, uh, Jesus heads south, and uh, he gets to this city called Jerusalem, or not Jerusalem, he's going to Jerusalem. He gets to the city called Jericho, and Jericho is about 18 miles away from Jerusalem. Remember, they're walking this. And um, in Jericho, some things happen, and right off the bat, he walks into Jericho, and he heals this blind guy who cries out to him. So he heals him, and then there's a huge buzz around town, like, oh, man, Jesus healed that guy. You know, this is crazy. Everybody wants to see what's going on. And then uh, Jesus spends the afternoon with this tax collector named Zacchaeus that nobody liked, all right, in town because Zacchaeus was a tax collector and that means he worked for the foreign oppressive Roman government even though he was a Jewish guy and so he was considered a traitor and people hated him yet Jesus spends the afternoon at his house and so people were grumbling and complaining about that like, you know, none of us ever complain about anything. That's, uh, they're all complaining about Jesus, right? And so um, after that, Jesus spent some time teaching. We talked about kind of some of the things that he talked about last week and now this week, Jesus uh, Jesus, he leaves Jericho, and he makes his way south, and he, he walks about 16 miles to the next town, which is this uh, smaller town called Bethany, which is only about two miles away from Jerusalem, kind of sits on the outskirts. And um, when they get to Bethany, John tells us that they get there six days before the Passover. Now, the Passover is a festival that the Jewish people celebrate, and actually they still do celebrate the, this to this day. And this, the Passover festival is, back then it was, it was coupled with another festival, and so it was basically an eight-day-long holiday. So picture Christmas like for eight days. Okay, so that's what the Jewish people would do. Um, they would travel, Jewish people from all over the world would travel to Jerusalem for, this eight, for these eight days to celebrate. And it really, um, the Passover takes root from the Old Testament from back 1,500 years before that, from back when uh, Moses, God uses Moses to lead the people, the Jewish people, out of Egypt. And um, when they're out and they're, they're heading to the promised land that God's promised them, uh, God goes to Moses and says, hey, this is what we're going to do. Um, I want you to create a, like a, a holiday, like a festival, so that you guys will celebrate what I did for you. You guys didn't do it. I did this. I led you guys out of Egypt where you had been slaves for 400 years. He's saying, um, I want you guys to celebrate this so you don't forget what I did for you. And so think about it. That was 1,500 years before Jesus. And Jesus, during Jesus' time, they're still celebrating it. And again, even 2,000 years after Jesus, they're still celebrating this. So it's been around for a long time. And uh, so John's given us context to kind of what's going on here. He's saying six days before the Passover, so this would have been Saturday, the Saturday before Jesus died, he says, Jesus came to the town of Bethany, the village of Bethany, where Lazarus was. 
the one who Jesus had raised from the dead. And so what John's doing here is he's giving us the context to where and, and what's going on or what type of, or what town this was. He's saying, hey, he went to Bethany. Which Bethany was that? Oh, you know, the one where Lazarus lived? Wait, which Lazarus? Oh, you know, the Lazarus that Jesus raised from the dead. And so John's original audience, as they're reading this, they're like, oh, that guy, we know him. Oh, that town, we know what town you're talking about. But for us, some of us, sometimes we have to be reminded about what Jesus is talking about or what John's talking about here. And so what I want to do for maybe, you know, a chunk of today, it's a pretty big chunk, um, I want to talk about a story, what Jesus, what John is talking about right here that really leads in to everything that's about to happen for the week. So does that make sense? And this happens only two weeks before. So we're going to back up two weeks and I'm going to tell you what happened. Good? Okay. I'll take it, I guess. <laughs> Got no option, other options, but all right. Here, so Jesus, um, he's friends with this guy named Lazarus. They're actually really close friends. Lazarus has got two sisters, Mary and Martha. Jesus is really close uh, to them as well. And, uh, and we see them in some other parts during, earlier in Jesus' ministry when he's doing his thing. But Lazarus, two weeks before this, this uh, Lazarus gets really, really, really sick. And Jesus isn't around. I mean, Jesus, he's somewhere else. He's about a day's walk away, wherever he is, we don't know. And uh, so Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, they're like desperate for Jesus because Lazarus isn't getting any better. All right, he's getting sicker and sicker and sicker. And so they're, start, they're at this point where they're like, man, is he going to die? Like, what's going to happen? You know, let, let's figure out what's, you know, we got we to gotta get Jesus here quick because we've seen him heal people. We've seen him help people. And, and we need Jesus' help. And so uh, back up one chapter, John chapter 11, verse 3. It says they come up with a plan. So the sisters, they send a message to Jesus. And they say, hey, Lord, the one who you love is sick. Now, imagine this. Imagine... Um, being so close with Jesus that someone is talking about you to Jesus and he doesn't, they don't even have to mention your name. All they say is, hey, you know, the one who you love is sick. They just have to say the one who you love and Jesus knows exactly who they're talking about. I mean, imagine that. I mean, these guys are close. And Jesus knew immediately who the message was talking about because Lazarus and Jesus are super good friends. I mean, this is the type of friend where, um, you know, you got those friends that can just walk in your house. They don't have to knock. They don't, they don't knock. You know, they just, they, they, just, they just walk in. Or maybe it's a family member or something. They feel super comfortable. You guys got a good relationship. You got any of those? Okay. Some of you, some of you guys need better friends, apparently. Or maybe friends at all. I don't know what the deal is here. But um, it's like that. This happened just a couple of weeks ago. We had, um, at one, I was wrestling with the boys, you know, in the living room. And uh, all of a sudden, my friend is just standing there and you know, watching us. I'm like, where did you come from? You know, it's just kind of funny. But it's okay. And I don't mind. It's not a big deal. And, uh, but this is just good relationships, all right? Um, this is the kind of friend, Lazarus and Jesus, you know, they're kind of friends where it's like they got the refrigerator rights. You know that friend? All right? If you don't have the friend that will just walk in, then you have the friend who will just walk into your fridge and they'll, they'll grab whatever they want and it's totally cool. You're not even upset about it because it's like you do that at their house too. So it's like an even trade. You try to make it even. You know what I'm talking about? You guys got friends like that? The refrigerator? Okay. All right. Jesus probably had refrigerator rights to uh, Lazarus's fridge, I'm guessing. That's how tight they are. And so John tells us, in verse 5, he says, now Jesus, just in case we had um, any question, just in case we didn't understand what's going on with the last verse, he says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Mary 
and Lazarus. Like they're tight, okay? They're super close. They got a great relationship with each other. And so when he heard that he was sick, he was like, oh man, we got to go. Like let's go now. We don't got any time to waste. And so he goes up to his hotel room. He gets his, his, uh, his, su- his suitcase or whatever. He packs all his stuff in. He grabs it and he jumps on the first like caravan. I don't know what they did. Donkey, camel, you know, whatever. Out of town, all right? No, that's not what he did. You would think that's what he would do, but it's not. It says, so when he heard, this is super interesting to me, that when, Laz- when he heard that Lazarus was sick, Jesus stayed two more days in the place where he was. What? Jesus, he stayed two more days? <laughs> See, this, this type of stuff, this don't sit well with our culture at all. I mean, in fact, many of us have probably wrestled with this question like more than once in our life where it's like, hey, God, 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 God. All right, if you love me, then why am I going through this pain? You ever, you ever ask, you ever think about a question like that before? Or you, ever, you ever pray that before? Like, you know, it's, I'm not saying out loud or nothing. I'm like, you ever think that? All right, it's like, God, what's going on? Why do I have this pain in my life? And by the way, just to answer that question, all right, I think, you know, just to get that answer out there, I think there can be a million good reasons to why we're going through pain. I mean, every single one of us, I'm sure we can think back to something in our life that we've been through that was super painful, that kind of rocked our world maybe. And um, we can now, in hindsight, look back at that situation, probably not while the storm is going on, but after the storm has passed, we can look back and say, oh yeah, okay, I'm, I'm glad I did that. I'm glad I went through that. Oh, I can see the good that came from that. Any of you guys ever experienced that before? Okay, yeah, like that happens, all right? That's probably happened in all of our lives. And so I think there's a, there could be a million reasons to why God allows pain in our life or whatever situation is going on in our life that we don't appreciate, that we didn't plan on being there. Um, and the thing we got to remember is that God doesn't owe us a painless life. He doesn't. God never promises us a painless life. In fact, Jesus tells his disciples, he's like, man, all right, you're going to follow me. That's cool. That's, that's good. Um, your life's probably going to get harder when it comes to, like, pain and stuff, right? There's, there, your, your life's going to get harder because of this. And I don't know where, it, you know, it came from that we think that, you know, God owes us a pain-free life. But the truth is, in this story, like what, what John has told us, the truth is Jesus loves Lazarus. Lazarus is sick. Both can be true at the same time. All right, both can be true at the same time. And I think for us, it's just confusing to us because when we're in the moment and we got this thing in our life that we don't want, this thing in our life that we don't appreciate, this thing in our life that's just painful, whatever the situation might be, because we've all been through all kinds of different things, all right, some worse than others, I think it's really hard for us to see the good in it. And I think for me personally, when I'm going through wrestling with stuff in my life, um, a lot of times I think back to the story of Job. All right, in the Old Testament, I mean, I know you guys know I love, I love me some Job, okay? I love that story. It's a good story. Um, it's, a, it's, it's a real story, so super interesting how Job, remember, he loses everything. He loses it all. He loses his wealth. He loses his kids, all right? His wife is telling him just to give up and die, and then he loses his health. Okay, and he's got, and he's just super pain, you know, super painful. He's got boils on his skin, just terrible stuff where he's scraping it off. I mean, just horrible, horrible stuff. Remember Job, throughout the whole thing, he's like, hey, God gives and God takes away. God gives and God takes away. But after a while, it wears him down and he's laying out in the middle of nowhere, like on, at the city dump, remember? And he start, he like hits his breaking point where he cries out to God and he some, says something to the effect of, hey, God, what you're doing to me or what you've allowed in my life is not 
fair. This isn't fair. I serve you, I got a good relationship with you, I don't understand why you're allowing all this pain in my life. And remember, he even gets, he gets pretty, pretty confident. He says, hey God, you know what, actually, you know, if I could, I, I, I know this isn't possible, but if I could, I wish I could take you to court because I think I'd win. That's pretty bold. But Job had been through so much, he hit his breaking point. Remember how God answers that? Remember he comes up in like this storm thing? appears right before Job, and God says, get ready. I got some questions for you, Job, right after Job says this. And um, remember, God peppers Job with like 30 to 40 questions of of all this stuff. He's like, hey, Job, um, by the way, since you know everything, and since you know the difference between right and wrong, and since you can judge better than I can, um, he, he, you know, where were you when I created, I don't know, earth? Were you there? Are you the one who tells lightning where to go? Were you there when I created this animal and this animal and this animal? Did you make this animal fast? Do you feed this? You know, do you do this? Do you do this? And all of these questions are not answerable, all right, to Job can't answer them. And so at the end, remember of that, like, two chapters of just peppering him, which shows the power of God. Remember how Job responds? He gets down. He's like, okay, 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 okay. I get it, I get it, I get it. I'm nothing but dust. See, God's whole point is, you don't understand what I'm doing, and you can't, because you're not God. And that's the perspective that we need to remember in our life. We don't understand how God is using the bad stuff that happens in our life. Remember, we as Christians, you know what God tells us? In the New Testament, God says, hey, you know what? Everything that happens in your life, no matter if it's good or bad. So think of like the worst thing that could happen to you. God says, actually, I promise I'm going to use that for good. It's a promise to Christians. And so we know that he can and we know that he does for those of us who have given our lives over to Jesus, which isn't everybody in this room, but probably the majority of us. Just because we don't understand what's going on doesn't mean God's not doing something with the pain in our life. And I bet the disciples are thinking something very similar. I bet this is very, very, very confusing to them as well. Because they're like, whoa, you know, Jesus, I thought, you know, if he's sick, like, you know, shouldn't we do something? But here's the deal. Jesus, like he so often was, was up to something. A couple days go by and and he gathers his disciples. He says, hey, okay, this is what we're going to do. Guys, um, we're going to go to Bethany now. All right, this is time. We're going to go, we're going to go back. And his his disciples are like, hey, Jesus, I don't know if we should do that or not because, um, you know, I I know you're God and everything and you you don't forget. But just in case maybe you forgot this one time, um, the last time we were in the area, remember the religious leaders, right? Um, They were trying to kill you, Okay. Like, they're trying to kill you. They're trying to put you to death. And, and you know, they, they don't like us either. And so it's probably not safe for us to go. And so are you sure that we really should go that way? I, you know, I don't know if that's the best thing for us to do. And it's so interesting that, the, you know, the religious leaders of that day, they're the ones trying to put Jesus to death. And I feel like I say this so often, um, but, I, but I just like think of this way. Like, Jesus, the ultimate religious leader, I mean, he's God in a man. He did not gravitate towards religious people. He didn't. In fact, they constantly butt heads with each other. And so John says, in verse 11, it says, Jesus says this. He says, then he told them. He's like, this is why we're going, okay? Our friend Lazarus, you know, your friend Lazarus. Remember the disciples? They're probably good friends with Lazarus too. He says, he has fallen asleep. 
but I'm on my way to wake him up. And so the disciples are like, what are you talking about? And so they start giving Jesus some medical advice. They're like, hey, Jesus, <laughs> you know, I don't know how things work up in heaven. But here, um, uh, if he's falling asleep, you know, if he's sleeping, that will help him get well. They already know he's sick. They're like, that's how it works here. You rest, you get better. Um, so we should probably just let him rest. Let's not go wake him up. And so Jesus, however, as John's telling us, was actually speaking about Lazarus' death. Basically in a nice way, saying, hey, Lazarus has passed away. Lazarus has fallen asleep. And the disciples are like, good, let him nap. That's good. Um, but they thought he was speaking about natural sleep. And so Jesus then told him plainly. He's like, okay, guys, this is what I mean. Lazarus is actually dead. He's died. Right? He's gone. And then he says something so interesting. He says, and I'm glad. What? Glad? Basically what Jesus is saying, he's saying, I'm glad I didn't save him. Right? This sounds so foreign to us. There's something about that, I don't know, it just doesn't sit well with us. We're like, I'm glad. I mean, after all, just think about this. Lazarus and Jesus are supposed to be such good friends. Like, what kind of really good friend who has the ability to save you chooses not to when you need him the most? Doesn't sound like, from our perspective, like a really good friend. Right? That's probably what they're thinking. You know, in fact, our culture would say that's a, that's a really bad friend. But there's a reason why Jesus is doing this, and he's doing it for a good reason. That's what he says. He says, I'm glad that I didn't heal him for you. You know, I'm glad for you that I wasn't there so I could have healed him. And here's the reason. He says, so that you may believe in me. So let's go. He says, then Thomas. All right, this guy is not the most... Uh, positive guy, you know, people like that, you know, at work or whatever, at school, at work, you know, on the team, who's like, they're always like the, they're like the Debbie Downer, you know what I'm talking about, all right, glass, half empty type people, some of you guys are probably that guy, all right, um, he says, that especially this service this morning, man, uh, you guys are killing me, no, um, this is then Thomas, he said to his fellow disciples, he said, all right, fine, Jesus, He's pushed back twice already. Remember, they're going to kill us. And he's like, oh, just let Lazarus sleep. Now he's saying, let's go too, so that we may die with Lazarus. Lazarus is dead. Jesus, they're trying, the religious leaders are trying to kill you. Remember, Bethany is only two miles away from Jerusalem. It's super close. Like, why don't we all just go and die? So this guy is not the most positive disciple that Jesus has. He's not the most upbeat guy. Now, maybe when he's saying this, he's being sarcastic. Like, oh, great. We're all going to go die. Like, that's not something that he's happy about. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever had, like, a friend or anything that maybe you guys have disagreed on what to do. And, uh, and that friend just kind of shoots, like, like, little jabs here and there. Um, here's, here's an example of that. When uh, it was a few years ago, maybe 15 years ago or so, right out of high school, um, I, uh, I, my dad and I, we went on an elk hunt in Colorado, okay? And so this is basically you get up early in the morning. You walk or ride horses. This day we were walking um, down a road, and then you go off the road and, you know, walk over like 20 mountains, okay, it felt like. And then you stop, you hunt, and then you come back for lunch and stuff like that. So that was like our routine for the two weeks that we were there. Um, the um, one day we do that, and uh, we didn't get anything, didn't even see an elk. You know, they weren't in that region of the state, apparently, at that time. Um, but, uh, but we're there, and we, we're like, all right, time to go back to camp. And I'm like, all right, let's go. And he's like, no, it's not that way. It's this way. And I'm like, no, it's this way. We're pointing in two opposite directions. Now, one of us is really, really wrong, you know. 
And, um, and we kind of have a little heated, a lot of you guys know my, my dad, we have a little heated argument about it. I'm like, and then it just came to the point where I'm like, you know what, dad, I don't care where you go. <laughs> I'm going this way. I'll see you later. You can't stop me. And my dad, he's my dad, right? Like he can't, he can't leave me. I'm out in the wilderness by myself. You know, I'm a 18-year-old kid. You know, it's not like he, he doesn't have an option. I have an option. I'm like, you're a grown man. Good luck. You know, watch out for the bears. You know, that type of thing. But he can't, he can't leave me. So he follows me as I just start walking. But he's like 25 yards, 50 yards behind. And I just, he's just throwing out these little jabs here and there. He's like, you ready to turn around yet? Or like, hey, you know, we're going to have to walk all this again. Or, man, I, I really missed lunch. I wish we could be at lunch right now, but we won't get, you know, we're not going to get, you know, just stuff, little things here and there. I'm, I'm just like, oh, making me mad. You know, I'm just like, I'm going. I don't care if I'm wrong. I'm going straight until I find something, you know. And, um, and so we did that. And eventually we got to the road where I told him it was. And uh, I've been able to lord that over him for the last 15 years. And I remind him about it every like six months or so. He lost his sense of direction, apparently. Um, but, uh, but it's those little darts. I, my guess is that Thomas is the same way, right? He's a little frustrated on what's going on. He thinks they're making the complete opposite wrong decision. And here he is. He's, already, he's like, all right, let's go. We're all going to die, right? Those, that type of guy. We're all going to die. This is great. Jesus, great, great idea. And, uh, and remember, they have a whole day's walk, so he's probably doing that. All day, he thinks they should go in the opposite direction. But when they go, they, they, they go anyway, and when they get close to the town of Bethany, the sisters come running up, and they're crying. You got Mary and Martha, they're crying. And uh, turns out that Lazarus, at this point, has been dead for four days. He's been dead. And uh, you know what they ask Jesus as soon as they run up, both of them? They're both like, Jesus, where were you? What's going on? Why didn't you come? We sent a messenger to you, and you, like, you delayed. Like, you, you, spent, you, you took your time. You know, if you would have been here, you could have healed Lazarus. I mean, have you ever prayed something like that? We're like, God, 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 you could have fixed this mess. You could have stopped this from happening, but you didn't. Where you're just like, God, you're late. Do you care? Are you there? You know, does this at all matter to you? And when Jesus sees their sadness, it's the shortest verse in the entire Bible, and John, who is there, he's an eyewitness of this, he writes this, it says, Jesus cried. The emotion moves him, and he cries, and the people around, you know, there's a whole crowd, it's not just Mary and Martha there, there's a whole crowd of people who are all mourning um, Lazarus' death, and when they see Jesus crying, I mean, they, they start saying, some of them are like, hey, you know, wow, look at Jesus, you know, look at the emotion he's got, he, man, he really cared for Lazarus, he really, he really loved him, like, I told you they were good friends, and then other people in the crowd, they're like, well, then why didn't he come? They're asking the same thing that Mary and Martha have both asked, they're like, why didn't he go? I don't understand why he didn't stop this from happening. And so you got both people in the crowd saying the same thing. And in verse 36, it says, or 38, it says, Then Jesus deeply moved again. He came to the tomb. It actually was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Remember, John's watching this. He's there. And Jesus goes up to the, to the tomb, and he says, Hey, remove that stone, Jesus said. And everybody's just like, that's a bad idea, man. <laughs> that's, that's a bad idea. In fact, Mary, her, his sister, um, come running up and they say, hey, Lord, you don't understand. There's already a stench because he's been dead for four days. She's like, it's hot. He's been dead. 
It's going to stink. This is not the way we want to honor Lazarus. I don't know what you're doing, Jesus, but this is, let's, let's not, let's, let's go back, okay? Let's go the opposite way here. And Jesus said to her, he says, hey, didn't I tell you that if you believed, that you'd see the glory of God? He's saying, hey, Martha, don't you believe? Don't you know that I care? Don't you know that I'm good? Don't you know that I could do anything that I want? And so they removed the stone. And then Jesus raised his eyes and he said, he prays this. He says, hey, Father, I thank you that you heard me and hear me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the crowd standing here, I'm saying this so that they may believe, God, that you sent me. He's saying, I'm about to do something that's about to be crazy and uh, I'm doing this. You know, Father, only because you sent me so that they can know that you and I are one. And after he said this, he shouted with a loud voice. He says, hey, Lazarus, come on out. And my guess is that the whole crowd is standing there, and they're just like, this is so awkward. <laughs> right? Like, they're all like, oh, Jesus, at least do something that you could kind of play off. That you know, Oh, here's the reason why it didn't happen. You're going you're gonna to call this dead man to come walking out? Like, this is, this is embarrassing. Like, this is so, I don't know, awkward. Everybody's just kind of squirming a little bit. And it says, and then John is writing this, and he's like, no, no, I was there, man. That dead man came out, bound hand and foot with the linen strips, right, with his face wrapped in the cloth. He can't see where he's going. He's got all this cloth around him because he's been, you know, buried um, in this, or he's been laid in this tomb, you know, wrapped around with all this stuff. And it doesn't sound like anybody from the crowd does anything. Like, they're all just like, are you serious? Are you seeing what I'm seeing? Like, is this a ghost? Like, is this for real? Are my eyes playing tricks on me? Like, is this some, how did Jesus stage this? Like, what is going on here? Because nobody goes and helps the guy out. In fact, Jesus has to tell him to do it. He's like, hey, unwrap him. Help, help him out, you know. Maybe they even take a step back. I don't know. But then they go and they, they, they you know, they help him out and, and they let him go. And here's like the duh statement, right? Here's the statement that John gives us. He's like, you know, we're all like, oh, yeah, duh. He says, because of this, therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he did, believed in him. I bet they did. Right? Like, there's no denying. These are the same people who had attended Lazarus' funeral days before. And now they're talking with the man. And they're eating with the man. This is the next verse. But some of them, they went to the Pharisees. Those are the religious leaders. And they told them what Jesus had done. Now, when the religious leaders, they hear this, they don't know what to do. They don't know what's going on. They don't know how Jesus pulled this off. They're, they, they don't like it. And so they immediately call a meeting. In the next verse, it says, so the chief priests and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they convened the Sanhedrin. That's like their cool club for religious people. And they were saying, hey, what are we going to do since this man is doing many signs? All right, look what he did. He just they're saying he raised a guy from the dead. Like, uh, you know, what do we do about that? And then they say, if we let him go on like this. Now, I bet when John, when he's writing this, he's writing this at the end of his life, all right? He's super old. He's actually been exiled by the Roman government on an island called Patmos. And he's writing this down for people. And he's like, hey, this is what happened. And I bet when he writes this, maybe he kind of laughs a little bit, right? He's like, you know, when they, he, he knows what they said, he's like, they said, if we let him go on like this, and he's probably like, you know, first of all, how arrogant is that? Right? Like, is, as if Jesus, as if Jesus needed their permission to do anything. You know, Jesus is God. As if they let him do anything. Jesus didn't need their permission. Everything that Jesus did was on purpose, with a purpose in mind. 
Right? Jesus knew exactly what was going on. And so here's these guys, but they think they can control everything. And they're just like, man, if we let him go on, right? And they're about to succeed in their minds. They're going to, you know, they don't know what's going to happen. That John, when he's writing this at the end of his life, is just like, man, if only these people knew. Like, what idiots, you know? Yeah, they'll put him to death, but he's not going to stay dead. And a bunch of people are going to believe because they're going to see Jesus walking around after that. And it's going to be crazy. And they thought Lazarus was bad. Wait till they do it to Jesus. And, and it's huge, you know, public. His execution is public. And then he comes back from the dead. Like, this is about to get crazy. If only these people knew. They think they have control. And they don't. It says, if, they, if we let them go on like this, everyone, all the people are going to believe. Everybody's going to buy into this stuff. And they'll believe in Jesus. And the Romans, you know, well, those people, the Jewish people, they'll crown Jesus as their king, which is what the disciples thought they were going to Jerusalem to do, and they're going to worship him, and then uh, the Rome, they're not going to appreciate that, so they're going to come in, and the Rome will take away both our, our place and our nation, and basically these guys are saying, hey, we got a lot to lose, enough is enough, and they start looking for a way to kill Jesus. So that's what makes the story so important, because the raising of Lazarus from the dead, it triggers the events that happen in the next few weeks that would actually lead to Jesus' death, and guess what? Jesus knew it. That's what happened a couple weeks before Jesus arrives back in Bethany. Okay, now to finish just real quick um, what happens in Bethany. Back to John 12. So six days before the Passover, we get this Saturday, um, before this big festival, Jesus came to Bethany. You know where Bethany was. This is the one where Lazarus lived. And you know Lazarus. He was the one that, uh, that Jesus raised from the dead a couple weeks before. Okay, we're all on the same page? Okay, all right. Next verse says, so they gave a dinner for him there. I bet they did. You know, I'm sure they, of course they're going to give a dinner for Jesus. He had done this huge thing. Um, Mark and Matthew also record this story for us in their accounts. And uh, Matthew was also there. He was, a, he was one of Jesus' disciples. And Ma Mark was around a lot. He was probably a teenager when all this stuff was happening. And so Mark may have been there too. But they tell us that uh, this happens actually in the house of a guy named Simon the leper. The leper was just what he was known as. Meaning he used to have this disease called leprosy, but they didn't anymore. And so, um, you know, Jesus had probably cured him of that. And so he also got that going on. So he's given the dinner, and Lazarus is there. Martha was serving them, and Lazarus was one of those reclining, probably with Simon and Jesus and the disciples, uh, at the table with him. And so we got, you know, we got Lazarus, and, you know, he's doing his thing. And he, Lazarus wasn't planning on being there, you know, obviously, and because uh, he was dead just a couple weeks before. And then Ma Martha, she's doing her thing. She's serving. And so the question is, where, where the heck is Mary? What's Mary doing? What's going on with her? Next verse. It says, then Mary took a pound of perfume. This was pure and expensive nard. Now, this stuff that she's got cost a ton of money to get. In fact, this was uh, stuff that came from, this nard came from uh, India, and so it was really hard to get a hold of, and uh, this stuff was really expensive. I mean, this was worth a year's salary. All right, so picture this perfume in this bottle was worth as much as your house, okay? That's what she had, so don't drop it, all right? That'd be a terrible, terrible thing. And so she walks into the room with this stuff, and, and this stuff was used for, especially for, for people when they, when they died, all right, to cover up the smell. You'd still pay your respects. You wouldn't want to smell a dead body, and so you'd be covered with this, um, th with this nard. But that was always usually watered down. This stuff is pure stuff. And so the disciples wa watch her walk in with it, and I bet they're all thinking the same thing, like, whoa, where did you get that? 
man, that's some expensive stuff. What is going on with that? Like, are you donating that? You, you know, we'll write you a good tax, you know, we'll get you the, you know, the tax stuff done on that. You know, well, that's worth some money. All right, that's tax-free. You can give it to us. Um, you know, just all this stuff. But Mary doesn't hand it over to the disciples. She doesn't even hand it over to Jesus. She doesn't say anything like, hey, here, sell this. All right, this will support you in your next year. You know, this will cover all the expenses you got. Or, hey, use this in whatever way you best think. She doesn't do that. Uh-uh. She opens up the bottle, and Matthew and Mark tell us that she pours it on top of Jesus' head, right on him, and it drips down, all the way down to his feet. And John tells us this. This is Mary. She took a pound of perfume, pure and expensive nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet, and she wiped his feet with her hair, which was also considered super humbling. Like, women don't do that, all right? And so the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. How many, of you guys, uh, it, how many of you guys are like me, once in a while, you'll have your lunch in like a Tupperware thing, and you won't, um, you'll for, you won't need it or whatever, and for whatever reason, and then you forget about it, and you find it in your car like a month later, you know what I'm talking about? Does that ever happen? No? Okay. Well, happens to me a lot. <laughs> so, and then you open it up. Well, that's what you do, right? You open it up because you want to see what's in there. Like, oh, I didn't know. Oh, you know, it's just like, oh, and it like hits you like a ton of bricks. You're like, dude. That thing did not age well, you know, and it's grown. And, you know, you're like, well, I think it's alive now, you know. And usually that's when I just hand it to Kate and I'm like, here you go. It needs cleaned or thrown out or something. Um, but it just fills the room or it fills your car when you open it. That's what this stuff is. Only this stuff smells super good, all right. This is, this is really good stuff. People want to smell like this stuff. And so everybody in the whole house, they know what's going on. Because if they didn't see her open it, they definitely smell it now. And it's super strong. Uh, the next verse says, then one of the disciples happens to be Judas Iscariot, who John writes is about to betray him. Although they didn't know that at the time. John's writing this looking back. Judas says, hey, Mary. What are you doing? Why was it this perfume sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He's like, hey, you could have sold this for so much money. Now, John writes, because he's adding in his little commentary here, he says he didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and he was in charge of the money bag and would steal part of what was put in it. And so Jesus answered Judas. So Judas, he, he's like, Mary, what are you doing? You should have done this with it. You could have helped the poor. And Jesus is like, hey, Judas, leave her alone. She has kept it for the day of my burial, for you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. And probably at that, the disciples were like, what are you talking about? What do you mean you will not always be here? Now, some people ask, well, so, so what's this mean? Jesus doesn't care about the poor? No, he cares about the poor, okay? He's pro-poor. Right? He's, he's, he does care about the poor. But here's the deal. Worship trumps activity. And sometimes those things can be both. So it's a little confusing, but this is what I mean. There are many churches all around that, that all around us that do good stuff, okay? There's no denying it. It is good stuff. But then they also reject the truth in the Bible, all right? There's many churches that take activity, meaning doing good things that we are supposed to do because of the gospel, and they elevate it above the gospel. That's a problem. That is completely backwards. And here's Jesus. He's basically saying, hey, don't ever do that. It's not about doing good stuff. We don't do good stuff to somehow impress God. Right? We do good stuff because God has saved us and we are nothing and we are messed up. And we owe him. See, Mary, she seems to get it. Judas doesn't. 
right? Think about Mary, right? She wants to honor Jesus the best way she can. I mean, think about it. Remember, uh, her brother Lazarus has just died just a couple weeks ago. And um, for some reason, we don't know the reason or whatever, she did not deem it worthy enough, all right, to use this on him, on Lazarus. And maybe, I don't know what changed in her. Maybe she's so thankful for Jesus bringing Lazarus back, you know, whatever the reason. It doesn't matter. She humbles herself in public in front of others, and she worships Jesus. And when she worships Jesus, it costs her a lot. In contrast, look at Judas. Right, Judas, he's all about what Jesus and his ministry can do for him. In fact, he was willing to steal from Jesus to help himself. And so often, I think we as Christians, here's the issue, we think a heck of a lot like Judas. Right, what we think is, hey, you know, what can Jesus do for me? All right, what's Jesus going to do for me? What, uh, you know, what's this church going to, how's this church going to help me? I mean, think about it. We even pick churches this way. We go, hey, I hope this church meets my needs. I want this church to be my style. I want this church, you know, how is this church going to make me feel? Instead, it should be, hey, what can I do to serve and worship Jesus here? It shouldn't be about us. We aren't even in the equation. It's all about Jesus. And we, a lot of us, we're just, we're only good with Jesus as long as it doesn't cost us anything. As long as we get some benefit that we can, you know, usually it's something that we can see that we can actually handle in our life. As long as Jesus keeps the bad things from happening in our lives. As long as Jesus keeps the pain away. And when we start thinking like that, we're on team Judas, not team Jesus. And that's a scary place to be. And so this event of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead Coming back to Bethany, he, he, he leaves because they're trying to kill him after that. He comes back to Bethany two weeks later. All this buzz is going around town. I mean, think about it even. Um, so that's happened. You got Simon, who used to be the leper. Okay, he's there. Uh, we know. You got Lazarus, who was once dead. He's around. You got Jesus, the guy who raised Lazarus from the dead and who's done all this stuff, who's kind of a local celebrity around the entire region. Like, there's a lot going on in this little town two miles away from Jerusalem, right before the biggest holiday and the biggest festival that Jewish people celebrate all year. And John ends it with, in verse 9, he says, Then a large crowd of Jews learned that he was there, and they came not only because of Jesus, but to also see Lazarus. Heck yeah, who wouldn't want to see the dead man, you know, who's walking around and stuff? So they want, I want to see Lazarus from my, with my own eyes. And so they see Lazarus as well. But the chief priests had decided to kill Lazarus also, because he was the reason many of the Jews were deserting them and believing in Jesus. So these guys, these religious leaders are like, hey, man, now, maybe instead of, not just, you know, instead of just killing Jesus, now we got to also kill Lazarus, because Lazarus is part of the problem now that he's been raised from the dead. And all of this sets up what happens next, because the very next day, Jesus finishes, finishes his trip, and he rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, and everything's about to go down. And we'll talk about what happens next week. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this, and... Um, for this story and just telling us what happened. And Lord, um, you have not promised us an easy life. You have not promised us a painless life. In fact, you've promised us that we will go through pain and we'll, we will have hardships, but we also always have you to lean on. And God, we thank you for that. We thank you that you're so much smarter than us and you do things the way they should be done. 
And the honest truth is if we had control of our lives, they would be a mess. God, we thank you for caring about us and thank you for loving us. We thank you for taking this road (laughs) to Jerusalem where you knew you were going to die and be killed. Not just any death, but a horrible, terrible, awful death. God, we thank you for that. You love us and you don't have to. You died for us and you didn't, you didn't have to do that either. And we thank you so much. God, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.